Lord God, help us to hear the word that you want us to hear. And we'll give you the glory. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay, so I'm not original. I got that from Charles Dickens. Many of you know it's the first line in his book, A Tale of Two Cities. In this story, he writes of the dichotomy that exists in whether changing society or the individual is the best direction to go. Can we really change society without individuals going through transformation? I think not. Society is in trouble, and so are we. Just when we think we are in control of our lives and things are going fairly well, a dark pit or an impenetrable wall forms in front of us. And we are struck down by despair. For example, when we find that the glamour of the holidays or our circumstances are not all that glamorous. The love of our life has abandoned us. We are, or the loved one is chronically ill. Or simply we've bought into a culture that seduces us in believing that more is more and life-giving rather than being simple and being life-producing. So how's that for the beginning of the last sermon of 2007? Are we happy now? Here's what I want you to get today and for the new year. Our experience of being seduced by wanting what is not being given to us causes us to be dissatisfied with life and therefore we call into question whether God loves us, is for us, or even sees us. Only when we learn to trust God's goodness, whether we see it or not, will we be content and convinced that we are God's beloved and that God can use our darkest moments for his good and for our good. So let's review where we've come from just a week ago so we can rightly see where we're headed now. We've just rejoiced in the celebration of God becoming a babe in order to grow up to sacrifice himself for our deliverance from our seduction of needing to always be happy or in control or get what we want when we want it. The sweet story of angels and shepherds, of Mary so brave, Joseph so faithful, of wise men with gifts beyond cost, and the miracle of God as a baby draws our hearts to feelings of warmth and awe. But the text I chose today to ponder is as Paul Harvey, the famous radio newsman, would say, here's the rest of the story. If we think our own lives are difficult and fraught with danger and despair, then read the rest of the Christmas story. 
First century Palestine was as messy as our own lives and world today. As soon as the wise men had worshipped the babe in Mary's arms and given the couple gifts out of their treasure chest, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod and tell him of their discovery, but to return to their homes by a different route. Our Savior's first days on earth engender both honor and fierce jealousy, pride and narrow escape from death. God truly enters and experiences all that we experience from the moment of his human birth to the moment of his dying on a cross. Jesus enters your world, my world, not different from our own, one filled with incredible and miraculous provision and one filled with murder, hate, and revenge. And for Mary and Joseph, their task to parent God became dangerous as soon as they took the assignment. The rest of the Christmas story is their pilgrimage from one messy home to another, to a land they knew not, to a people they knew not. It was an escape from a madman who, in his insanity and insecurity, brought death to many families in Bethlehem in an attempt to keep his throne. Couldn't God have made it easier for them? Can God make it easier for us? Our culture does not support self-discovery and pilgrimage. It does not affirm suffering or surrendered to what we can't understand. Our culture, with its mediums of communication and entertainment, calls attention to the faddish, superficial, the flashy, and freaky. We are daily plunged into mediocrity, superficiality, and death. The only way to counter our culture to, do, to live life with authenticity and a carefree spirit to live in faith, hope, and love is to take the journey of trust. To trust God when the stakes are so high and the minefields of life are so dangerous is not easy. It is very hard. As Mary and Joseph discovered, we are asked to trust God in obedience solely based on his word. When we can't see the reason why, but are simply asked to follow and believe, we can do so because he proved his love through his birth, life, death, and resurrection. All Mary and Joseph had was a dream. And a reminder of God's prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. This story of the couple's escape to Egypt to avoid Herod's madness is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it is because Matthew wrote to a Christian Jewish audience who would be reminded in this quote from Hosea that like Israel itself, being in exile, 
God would replicate their story in his own coming by reenacting the exodus and return. This original audience would be in need of affirmation that indeed Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And we too are often in need of proof that our faith is not in vain in order that our trust is not misplaced. And like Israel and Mary and Joseph, we are on journeys, journeys that last a lifetime. Journeys that are often taken in the dark, the unknown. Journeys that build trust in God by obeying his word, by living in the moment, and by embracing mystery. Each of these ways to build trust was demonstrated by Mary and Joseph's journey to Egypt. They have become markers in my own journey of trust, particularly over the last six months. Many of you have been praying for my husband, John, and I and our kids as we have done the journey of cancer. At the end of June, John was diagnosed with a malignant tumor the size of a papaya located at the base of his spinal column. It was pushing his spine out of alignment and causing him great pain. The nerves and blood vessels enmeshed in this tumor would be difficult to save when surgery was possible. But before surgery, there would be three rounds of chemo, harsh chemotherapy, in order to kill this fast-growing monster. When John called me from the imaging office where they first detected the tumor, it was a replication of a call he had made 16 years earlier, the last time he had a malignant tumor. At that time, surgery was scheduled the next day. We had, he had radiation for three weeks, and we were done, or so we thought. Now, isn't there some universal law that says only one bout of cancer per person per lifetime? <laughs> Not. On September 28th, John went in for what we were told would be an eight-hour surgery, and we needed to be prepared for the possible result, at worst, paralysis, at best, a drop foot. As hour nine passed, then ten, then eleven, well, you can imagine my demeanor at that moment. After 14 hours of surgery, the surgeons called it and informed me that they would need to go back in for more repairing of a spinal column in three days. But they were giddy with delight at the results. Much prayer by so many here and across the world, three phenomenal surgeons and excellent oncologists and a battery of assistants produced a miracle, and an almost dead tumor with clear margins and only one nerve cut, producing a right drop foot. Many scriptures had been given to John and I at a pre-surgery prayer meeting here at church, but the one that has often been the word that I give to others when I am doing my visiting with the sick and dying 
is in Paul's letter to the Philippians. It goes like this. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Obeying God's word to us in this experience has been a key to living in trust. This cancer journey for John is being allowed by the hand of God in order that his glory may go forth into the world. Our experience is not just about us, but about how we follow God in trust so that our lives become a visible witness to God's redeeming love, just like Mary and Joseph. Just as important has been our willingness to stay in the moment with what is happening right now and not try to live too far in the future or in the past. God has met us in the moment when we turn to him in faith. Intimacy with God is a moment experience when we feel the emotions that are true right now. For example, as we celebrated Thanksgiving this year with friends and family, it was truly remarkable for its authenticity and vulnerability and faithful acknowledgement of what this year has been for us all. We watched and listened to a brave and courageous man speak of the fear, the loneliness, the vulnerability, and yes, the tenderness of the cancer journey. This set in motion, sharing around other stories of vulnerability set loose by the rawness of John's and mine. Living in the moment with what is, not with what we'd want or what we had, has allowed us to enter a realm of trust as we are met by God in honest reflection about our circumstance and its impact on our lives. God wants to meet us with what is real in the moment, not by producing some version of the truth that is not associated with the actual suffering that we experience. And so I have to say, that my marriage of almost 27 years is as rich and close as it has ever been. And I give the credit to the journey of cancer and the grace to embrace what was given to us, though not asked for. And finally, so you don't think that we are saints because it's far from the truth, Like the time I waited 45 minutes to pick up a prescription for John after a long day at the office, okay, here at church. Um, I got home and I flung it on the table and said, here, have your medication. (laughs) It wasn't pretty. But we both 
through taking God at his word, living in the moment that is given to us, and then embracing mystery, what we don't understand, nor can we even quantify or describe, find that we are in fact being held. We have been suspended in a slow, methodical path in which we cannot see what is coming next, but choose to believe that life in the shadow of the great love that claims us all before we are ever able to respond, yes, Jesus, God in the flesh, so near to us that we cannot take a breath without his love sustaining us, is actually the best life there is to live. Mary and Joseph, as they flew in escape through the night, must have had to hold to this conviction, that the God who had asked them to parent himself on earth would be with them in grace and mercy in ways they could not calculate yet had already known through miraculous provision. Yes, a messy assignment. Yes, a journey of trust. That we be no different than the rest of this somewhat crazy, miraculous, and messy life. God with them, it was enough. Much of what I have said discerned from this short passage only found in Matthew, is consistent with my understanding of what happens when intimacy with God is developed through listening to God in prayer. If you would like to experience this kind of intimate prayer, we'll be teaching a four-week class in February during Lent on it. You can look for it in your January messenger. So I will say again, in 2007, it has been the worst of times. But by far, it has been the best of times. So may your new year, 2008, be one of profound growth in faith, hope, and love. And may you learn to trust God through obeying his word, living in the moment, and embracing mystery. Lord Jesus, you give us life, you sustain it, you are with us. Help each of us to know the nearness of your presence, before, beside, and behind. Help us to trust you, and we will give you the glory. Amen.